The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 93 for February 25th, 2007. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. Now I know why the intro was so weird before when we started it. I started the wrong intro, John. Now I have to manually fade it out and everything. Yeah, I kind of ran ran it over there. It's still going. Yeah, yeah, so it's Sunday night. And uh, what a crazy... I remembered why we don't podcast on Sundays anymore. Oh, right. Because I'm okay with this. I'm I'm always worn out on Sundays. But but this week is is different because I was... Uh, I was I had like four or five days worth of what, what, I, what I assume is the norovirus. It just finally cleared up yesterday, so mm. not fun. Gastrointestinal and body aches and the whole not fun thing. Oh, so, yeah. Well, but I had big fun. I was at the uh, Smart Labels conference up in Boston. Really? I used to have MacWorld. Yeah. No, I've been all over the place, man. I Where mean, you uh, go? Boston. You're going somewhere to tomorrow our, our, too, right? Uh, yeah, we're having a, uh, uh, our business unit is having a two-day off-site uh-huh. deal. So hopefully, I heard there's going to be a little bit of snow, but uh, for the most part, I think we're uh, we're melted out here. I don't know about you up in, uh, you know, the, the Great White North there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we've got, um, we probably, I mean, we've still got snow on the in the yard and stuff. The, the streets are all gone, all that good stuff. It was in the 40s this weekend here, so. Nice. Yep. All right. So tonight's show is filled with our answers to your questions and your answers to your questions and your answers to our questions and some tips that aren't even answers, but are good to share anyway. So, uh, and a really cool automator launch D solution thing that we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, and we'll start with Brian. What do you think? Does that sound like a plan, John? Right into it here. Take it away. Brian. Oh, you know, (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be one of those shows. Uh, we'll we'll try this again. You know, I'd faded it out. I had told you I had told you I had to manually fade out the uh, the thing, and so Brian was faded out. Let's try this again, Brian. Thanks. I really appreciate this, guys. This is Brian calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. I was listening to uh, episode number eighty-eight. I've fallen a little bit behind because of some work on my podcast, but I assure you, I'll work diligently to catch up. <laughs> but anyhow, love the show, and I thought for a second there, Providence was going to let you answer a question I've had for several months. Had a caller um, who was calling in, I believe from the UK, with a question about eight hundred two eleven B devices on an eight hundred two eleven G network and whether it slowed things down. And you answered about ninety percent of the question that I had. Um, my question is, on my network, I've got an Airport Extreme 802.11g base station, and most of my laptops are that way, uh, but my TiVos are 802.11b, and I'm wondering if I could avoid this pain of slowdown by running a second uh, wireless router. Uh, I've actually got an old B router that I had before I upgraded to the Airport Extreme and run two separate SSIDs on my network, so one for the uh, TiVos on 802.11b, and then a separate SSID for all of my 802.11g devices. And if doing that would uh, help me avoid this slowdown, and if not, then I won't waste my time. So I would appreciate it if you would uh, let me know on this. Um, if you want to do that on the air, that would be wonderful. And we will. Actually, John and I, I think, both have some, some things to add to this. And this is something that we've discussed, I think, actually, in the last three podcasts, or three of the most recent podcasts. So perhaps this will uh, 
this will either spark a whole lot of conversation or it'll it'll uh, hopefully Let's just settle it. it right that's right one or the other um so in my experience and, and i've done something almost entirely similar to what you're doing here where one of my tivo devices has a, a, a b connector on it and it was slowing down or forcing my wife's laptop to slow down when when they were both associated with the same base station so yeah i've got uh two base stations here they're both running g uh, but one of them has uh, I've, asso I've associated the uh the tivo with the with one of them and my wife's laptop with the other and now my wife's laptop gets full speed uh, connections and the the b1 does what it does what it does the trick though <clears throat> if you're going to have two airport networks in the same uh in within close proximity to one another you need to have them on different channels. Uh, there are, in the U.S. anyway, 11 channels, 12 channels, 1 to 11, that you can use for the, the airport network. And the channel, the, the way I, I usually describe it is the channel is the focal point of the, uh, of the bandwidth. It, it's not confined to that channel. So let's say you're on channel 6. Uh, your bandwidth is going to spill over into channels, you know, 5, 7, four, eight, you know, a little bit. It's, it's almost, think of it like a triangle. And so you want to move those triangles so that the, they don't overlap. It stands to reason then that you want to put one base station on channel one, one base station on channel 11. Uh, you could probably even go, you know, two and 10 or three and nine and, and still be in, in fairly good shape. But uh, since everything defaults to six anyway, and your neighbor might be on six, it, I've always found it to be a good idea to get to the edges anyway. And uh, and that should help things along. And uh, and yeah, it should work great. What, one other cool thing, and then I'll let, I know, John, you've got some stuff to add here. But it, even if you've got two G devices on your network, if you happen to have two base stations and you don't mind all the extra radiation in your house, that, not that I think it would be a whole lot extra, uh, putting them on their own base stations allows them to communicate with each other at full speed. Whereas otherwise, if they would have to uh, share that bandwidth and actually only be able to communicate with each other at half speed. So let's say you got two laptops. If they each associate with their own base station, then they can talk to each other at full speed. Whereas if uh, if they associated with the same base station, the speed is instantly cut in half when the when the two of them are talking to each other um, because they're both you know sharing that uh, that bandwidth. So I, there you go. That that's my that's my piece, John. Take it away. Right. Okay. And the, th the only thing I want to mention is that if you are talking about G and B, you definitely, because I found several articles talking about this, but you definitely don't want to have B and G devices on the same network unless you cannot avoid it. Now, right. in, in the case here, of course, you have two different base stations and you could isolate them. There is something in the G standard that's called a, a protection mode, which uh, will detect if there's an 802.b signal, and I think Dave and I were looking at, at some of the uh, the specs here, and I think we agree that it really, really comes into play when you're talking about the same SSID and same channel is when this comes into play. So I think it would depend on the vendor. Um, but but the basic thing is don't have B and G on the same device. Right. I was speculating that if B was anywhere near a G device, it would slow down. But I, I you know, after reading some of the stuff here, I think that doesn't make a lot of sense that that would happen. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. so. Though, if, if again, if, if you know somebody out there has uh, experience, otherwise, please, please let us know. Yeah, because they're in the same frequency, and and to 
also add to what you said before, you know, having all these devices with the frequencies that overlap in, in, in a sense, um, the thing is the protocols, including Bluetooth and 802.11b and g, they're all in the, you know, kind of same general range here. They're all designed to somewhat accommodate one another, but when you start getting more and more things in the same place, you know, it stands the reason that you're not probably not going to get peak performance, you know, if right. you have base stations all over the place because it's also prone to things microwave ovens and you know, right. cordless phones and things like that so uh you know if, you, if you're out in the the sticks then you're probably going to be doing okay yeah yeah cordless phones in the in the 2.4 uh gigahertz range right mm -hmm. yeah all right okay uh moving along to uh, an email question hello mac decab i've been listening to you guys for quite some time now I just recently purchased a black MacBook to go along with my PowerBook G4. I have my PowerBook G4 pretty much set up as a desktop unit in my room, and I use my MacBook on the go. My question is I've got six email accounts, and I'd like them synced between each other. I already used ShopMac to sync the accounts, but I was wondering, does that actually sync the email messages received on each computer? I just would like to have copies on both computers. That's what I'm going for. If you guys can help me out, that would be great. You can get back to me. All right. So uh, you're, you're right. Dot .Mac, as far as the dot .Mac syncing goes, does not sync the message data. It, it syncs, well, you can have it sync signatures and, and uh, filter rules and even account settings, uh, you know, how long you're going to leave mail on the, on the server, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it will not sync mail messages that way. However... Your .Mac account allows you to use something called IMAP, uh, and I know we've talked about this before. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can access you it. You can access Pop it. Pop or IMAP, or can you do both? You can do both. Uh, and typically, though certainly not as a rule, typically when you access your mail via Pop, uh, you're going to wind up downloading the mail to your computer and then deleting it off the mail server. With IMAP, uh, you can actually set to leave the mail on the server and really your client just becomes a clone of what's on the server. So if you delete something on, you know, if you delete something from your inbox on the client, it goes in and deletes it from the server. But if you were to log into the server, either through .Mac webmail or with another IMAP client, you know, another copy of mail, say on another computer, uh, right. it would, it would, you would see those changes synchronized between the two. So IMAP is the answer here. If you want to synchronize mail messages uh, among multiple computers, and sorry, I'm getting some mic stand noise. I don't know why that's happening tonight. But anyway, uh, if you want to sync mail messages between multiple computers, IMAP is the way to go. Now, you say you're using six different uh, email accounts. Uh, mm. it, if they don't all support IMAP, then there's no real easy way to do this. You can do it with POP. You can tell your computers to leave things on the server but uh, with with pop i've never found a foolproof way of managing that to where you, you don't wind up getting some duplicate downloads or you know erasing things or whatever in either case though if you're going to wind up leaving messages on the server to sync you need to make sure you're you're not hitting account quotas and and that sort of thing and with dot mac you can adjust how much of the space you buy is allocated to mail versus your iDisk etc cetera, etc cetera. so but IMAP is, yeah. is truly the only way to do it, at least that I thought of. If you have a, a thought, John, that's... Uh... Um, well, two things. One is that if you're going to use IMAP, then you want to make sure that all the clients that you use are using the same protocol, whether it be POP, 
Well, probably not. But you want to make sure that not one one of them or one or more is not doing pop unless you expect that. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, things can get strange. That, that's an excellent um, point. That's right. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I would I would do often is uh, when I would travel a lot of times uh, or I would operate on a backup is I would do a backup of, uh, and I think Eudora is still structured like this, where we keep all the important information in one folder. I think it was called Eudora folder inside of your documents folder. Right. And you could bring that along with you, run Eudora on another machine, as long as it was pointing at that folder, and then bring it back to another machine, copy that over, and it would basically be a mirror of your uh, pop status. Yeah, so uh, that I, was kind of carrying around with you your configuration. Uh, so doing it with Pop is is doable, but you have to take care to remember where the last you know authoritative copy of everything is. That's right. Yeah, yeah. If you if you're willing to do it that way, sure. Uh, and I believe Eudora still works that way. Uh, of course, Eudora's development is halted, um, but uh, but I think it's being picked up and going. Or it, it's going well, open source, they're, right? So, they're moving open yeah. source. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, and I had sad, oh, I sad news. My the ch well, good and sad news. Chatter email, which is the IMAP client that I use on my trio, so that I have mm -hmm. uh, you know IMAP at uh, at my desk and at the house, and then on my trio, so I've got the same inbox everywhere. Chatter email. The the author of that, uh, this guy Mark, and I can't remember his last name, uh, mm -hmm. but whatever. Uh, he was hired by Palm, so he will no longer be developing new. Uh, oh. At, at, versions of chatter email we can only hope that of course palm will will release something but you know they won't let older users get it you'll have to buy a new phone or whatever so but the current version works great so uh, i'm hoping that uh, that it stays that way all right uh back to the uh back to the grind here <laughs> hey guys i'm new to the podcast and i have a question regarding my ipod my itunes I tried moving my music folder from my PowerBook over to an external hard drive, and in the meantime, ended up screwing up all my music and basically deleted everything. But I have everything on my iPod, and I want to know what's the best way you think to get my music from my iPod back onto my uh, play, my iTunes playlist, keeping my ratings and my play counts and everything. Is my best option to uninstall iTunes to delete my uh, my preference list files? And to just reinstall iTunes and go from there. Thanks for the help. Uh, I, I think most of you will probably know this, but if you don't, that's why we're here. If uh, iTunes will not sync anything but purchased music back from the iPod, correct me if I'm wrong. Right? Is that right, John? With iTunes Seven, anyway. Ooh, I've never I tried it. Yeah, iTunes. I think Trust iTunes Seven point whatever whatever we're at now. Right, seven point one. That right over here? Uh, no, we're not at 7.1. I think just iTunes 7 uh, added the functionality of syncing purchased music back from the iPod so that the iPod could effectively act as a backup for any music you purchase from the iTunes store. Anything else will not sync back with iTunes. Uh, there are third-party uh -huh. third utilities, though, that will let you uh, sync the data back, and, and I found one called iPod Rip, and I know there's a ton of other iPod.iTunes, I think, is another, and we'll put some links links to those in the uh, in the show notes. And Michael, I'm, I'm sure, has already put them here in the AAC for you to uh, to have clicked on when uh, when I mentioned those. So if you missed it, it's iPod Rip, iPod.iTunes, and perhaps even more. But uh, it, I believe they'll sync it back. I'm pretty sure the iPod contains that data, though. I've I've never 
I don't know that I've ever really looked. I'm pretty sure it does though, because it it has to con- it has to keep track of last time played and play counts, right. so that it can update it when it when iTunes syncs with it. So I I think that I think all that data is there. That was my thought, but I didn't know that it wouldn't. So it will not sync your MP3s. No, no, it huh. won't sync them back. No, 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 because then because it would make it too easy to use the iPod as a uh, you know as a, a tool oh, right, of the right. of the thieves, right? A, a tool of the uh, cabal of thieves out right. there that that steal music <laughs> from the world. I, yeah, yeah. So. so you get a third party utility. You pull the MP3s off of there. Okay. Yeah. It, and the Got MP3s, it. and 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 by doing it, I believe these utilities will maintain all your playlists and everything. You you can, of course, you know, using the terminal, navigate to the hidden directory directories on the iPod, and mm-hmm. uh, and copy the stuff back manually. But then that doesn't sync your uh, your your playlist or anything like that. And these utilities will. So. Yeah. Hmm. Thoughts? Any any further thoughts on that, John? No. Not really. I mean, you know, while well, Steve's uh, been talking about his view one. He, he like has, you, you know, yeah, and I mean, we're all aware of, of that, and, and uh, we typically don't cover a whole lot of that here, but Dave Slusher, and this, okay, this now there's two shows that I mentioned Dave Slusher here, but uh, mm-hmm. but he posted, you know, that this, uh, this whole flurry of, of activity happened after Jobs went in, uh, on the rampage and, and posted the, his, the open letter on Apple.com, and, uh, you know, he basically said, we would love to sell DRM free music if the labels would let us. And mm. it's like, and Dave Slusher put it great. He, he posted something on his blog a couple of days after saying, you know, uh, it's great to have Apple on, on the side of, of anti DRM. And if you want to sell DRM free music, just do it. Right. And what he meant by that was, well, yeah, okay. So the labels won't let you do it, but what about the thousands and thousands of tracks on the iTunes store that are from you know, CD baby and independent artists and all this stuff. I'm sure mm-hmm. many of them would be happy to allow people to allow, well, you know, it's right? weird. There's so songs that I see on e-music that right. are protected on iTunes. And it's like, why? Probably because mm-hmm. it's easier to do it that way. Right. Well, the engine isn't built, but well, the engine currently doesn't deliver any unprotected music, quote unquote, for sale. Uh, it of course allows you to download podcasts, but th- remember those are coming from, uh, the podcasters' servers, not from, they're not right. going via iTunes. iTunes doesn't well, have they any could. download. It's probably not in their right. current model. That's right. But there has to be a switch somewhere. Yeah, that's right. It's just a switch. Are they going to flip the switch? They should. You know they. You know they. Uh, they, they could. Sh- they, they could. They should. They should. Welcoming a new sponsor to the show this week. Uh, SmileOnMyMac.com. They are uh, makers of many pieces of producers creators of many pieces of software tonight we're talking about pdf pen and and i do i I say this all the time but it's great when a piece of software is being advertised on the show that i use right because it's it's killer that that we're actually able to to talk about stuff that we that we use and like pdf pen is a utility that allows you to edit a pdf a prime example Let's say you get a contract via PDF and you need to put your signature, you know, you need to print it, sign it, and fax it back. Well, printing it, okay, now you got to be near a printer. Signing it, you got to be near a pen, but usually that's not so bad. Uh, and then faxing it, you got to be near a fax machine or a scanner so you can scan it back in and then either PDF it back to the person or, you know, use some network faxing or something like that. With PDF pen, you can 
uh, go in and actually draw your signature, or if you've got a, an existing scan document with your signature, you go and grab your signature out of that with, you know, say, graphic converter or, or something. Copy it, paste it into the PDF with PDF pen, fill out forms that aren't form. Uh, you can, you know, paste text into a, a PDF. So even if something is a form but isn't a truly, you know, form-capable PDF, you can make it that way uh, or, or at least fill out the form with PDF pen. It, it, awesome. You can merge PDFs. You can pull pages out. You can uh, pu put things back together. PDF pen, forty-nine ninety-five. You can do so many things with it. It's fantastic. And they're saying uh, that to kick off their uh, their sponsorship and and their here on the Mac Geek Gab, offering you a special twenty percent off all Smile on My Mac products. Uh, and you go to the link smileonmymac.com/geek, and that's good until March thirteenth. They tell us so. Hurry up and uh, and check that out. Smileonmymac.com/geek. Excellent. Yep. Well, I had to deal with some PDFs. I just did my uh, taxes. Oh. Yeah, there Don't you go. save it till the last minute, because of course, as many know, you can download the forms, which are PDFs, That's right. um, and fill those out instead of doing it with a pen or pencil. That's right. If anybody still uses those? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So get your taxes done quick. Quick, hurry. Robert, take it away. Hi, John and Dave. This is Robert in California. Love your show. Listen to it religiously. I sent you this question about a month ago, maybe a little more, and figured you'd address it in the networking show, but uh, now I'm thinking maybe the question never reached you, so I'll leave it again. I'm trying to get VNC to work so I can control my office computer from home and vice versa. I'm able to get it to work locally, but not over the Internet, so I assume there's a firewall at the office. We don't really have an IT guy that I can ask. And I'm going through a router and a cable modem at home. You lead me through the steps to set up VNC and how to get through these various firewalls. I'm not sure which ports to open and how to open them. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, before he gets to his email address, which I know came very quickly, John, take it away. Mm -hmm. Okay. What we have to do here is if we go to sharing yes. and firewall. Now, normally, VNC is not a normal choice in this, but if you go to new, yeah. You will get a pull-down menu, and one of them is VNC. And when you do that, you will see TCP port numbers 5900, 5902, and UDP port number 5900. That's probably a good start. The, what I would probably want to do, uh, based on the, the quick research I did, is that the last digit of that range, so that is the correct range, that 5900 range. The thing is, the last digit is a screen number, and sometimes if you're doing VNC, you may have multiple screens. So you may want to extend that a bit, and I think, uh, Dave, you and I probably agree that going through uh, 5909 may make sense on both of those ranges. So uh, a minimal, minimal solution would be to maybe take the default in Apple's firewall and uh, tweak that just a little bit um, to, to add some ports. But I'm pretty sure that's, that's going to be the problem. Well, presumably is, uh, that's, already, that's already working, right, if he's able to do it locally. I think he's talking about piercing the the network firewall at his uh, at his office, right? Okay, so that would be the same. Okay, so the same port range, but then on his uh, all right, whoever administers their uh, yep, like we were just doing earlier, actually for yeah. Skype, for Skype, that's right. <laughs> okay, so same thing. So so you could um, of course check both of them just to make sure mm -hmm. that the uh, yeah, the one it, on the Mac and the uh, and good point the one that whatever's regulating the traffic. Uh, is also passing that through if you have the ability to administer it. Right. 
And and so so that gets him able, presumably able to access your, his computer at work as long as his computer at work has an externally addressable IP address. And we'll let you go back to the networking show to, to get more of the basics on that. But if you've got a NAT routed uh, address or, or some non-publicly addressable uh, IP address, then you're going to need to do mm. some port forwarding, which you'll almost certainly have to do to get to your home machine from the office, right? And to do that, you go into your router setup, either your base station or your Netgear router or Linksys router, and tell it that when a connection comes in on port 5900 and make it both TCP and UDP, you forward that to whatever IP address your computer has on the inside of the network, right? Mm -hmm. Would that work, John? That would work. So, yeah, so we're talking a combination of making sure all the clients allow the VNC ports and also that the uh, yes. router... Uh, allows those ports as well and you know if any one of them is not set up right then you're going to be scratching your head saying how do i do this now right. of course opening ports like that you want to be very careful because just about anybody could stumble along and i would think there are people who are looking for port 5900 so if you have something behind it don't just uh, yeah me too i mean <laughs> in my spare time i'm just scanning ports uh you know wherever i can find them no of course not <laughs> <laughs> those days are long behind us Right, because your your service tends to get shut off if you do that sort of thing now. Yeah. Because they have somewhat of a clue, or at least automated tools to detect such things. That's right. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so at least have a password. Probably I would do a uh, you know secure sort of... Uh, anyways. Yeah, v VNC isn't all that secure, right? It's not encrypted, and it's only a single password to get into the machine. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that so. you probably want to tunnel that through something else like ssh could, that's right. and that that gets kind of uh, a, a bit more involved actually that that's not too bad right it's i mean it's one uh should be one terminal command to to tunnel uh, a vnc connection over ssh shouldn't it i don't know it off the top of my head but uh we could yeah if anybody does this which i'm go. sure people do I've, yeah. I've heard about it yeah let us know so uh yeah there you go but yeah, hey. good good point on the firewall because you could open up all the ports and port forwarding you want, and if your uh, if your client slash server firewalls are blocking those ports, it doesn't uh, doesn't matter. One one other thing we've talked about this before, and Louis actually called in a couple of weeks ago with a question saying, "Look, you know, I'm trying to access this, and VNC the the remote control por portion of Apple Remote Desktop won't work." And we said, "Well, yeah, you know, your VNC thing, it's uh, it's not right." And, you know, you got to go and turn on VNC or turn on remote control and the permissions is what we said. And that may have been the issue, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, But Victor from the Typical Mac User podcast heard about this. I think Andrew uh, from the Imaging Buffet podcast let him know. And Victor posted a solution on his website, which we'll link to. But the the, the base of the solution was that long ago uh, he had installed the OS 10 VNC server on his Mac and it fired up something every time he started up his Mac that got in the way of Apple remote desktops, VNC client. So he talks about how to remove that by going into slash library slash startup items and then restarting. So, uh, so there you go. Right. Now startup items, that's different from login items. Is it correct? Or is it, I think it is. Okay. It is absolutely. Yeah. Slash library slash startup items. Things run as root. 
Um, if it's in your home okay. directory startup items, I think they run as you, and I, I, that may be more okay. closely related to login items. Yeah, I want to mention that because um, if if you're getting unusual behavior, sometimes if you go to accounts and login items, you yep. may see something in that list that you didn't necessarily know was installed. Yep. And sometimes I found for debugging purposes, sometimes going in here and, and uh, taking a few things out, especially if you don't know where they came from or they're new, may uh, help your system start up again or start up better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and that's not a bad place to go anyway, even if you're not having problems, just to remind yourself of what you've got going on. You know, I on this machine, I just looked in there and uh, and saw that I've got an old virtual PC thing running and, mm, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. So... And and believe it's it or not, which it is. we're going to tell you about in an upcoming show. I was just going to say, I actually had that exact <laughs> thing on the on the on the long list of uh, stuff that I had. So there you go. Beat to, you. you did beat me. I know. Dang. Two zero six 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 geek or two zero six 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 four three three five four three three five. Yep, that's the number everybody calls. That's the number Larry called and. Uh, and as soon why? as I get back to him, why did Larry call? I don't know. No, I think actually he knew why he was calling that number. There you go. Hey, John, Dave. Um, kind of have a weird problem. Uh, in iTunes, using a iMac G5, uh, I have a couple podcasts that I'm subscribed to, and they, um, they're they set to update automatically. Uh, my computer checks uh, every couple hours. Um but recently, in the past couple of weeks, uh, all the all the podcasts that I'm subscribed to start uh, trying to download episodes from up to a year ago, two years ago, um, automatically. Like things from uh, last March just start downloading. And uh, yeah, wondering if you guys could uh, shed some light on that. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I, I've seen this here. I've seen it with with our show. I've seen it with uh, with other shows happen. And I actually, was talking to the folks at Apple last week about it. Uh, Thank goodness, because I've never seen this. I the list should just maintain itself. You, you, yeah, you, know, you check, and you have the time and date stamp of of everything, and you check again if there's anything new you you add it to the list uh, actually so, so, so what's going on there well what what iTunes monitors is in the RSS feed uh, of the show there is a GUID uh, right right to tag if you will unique identifier it's Every an identifier or right. everybody has a different one right and and for ours what I use is the URL of the show whatever the URL of the download is that's the GUID right. and and frankly the script just mirrors it right because there's no reason to reinvent the wheel here and that way, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's not going to change. And in fact, if I need it to re-download, i.e., like a couple of weeks ago when when Michael's uh, upload failed, and so the AAC was only half there. Once we realized it and fixed it, I actually went and changed the download link uh, so that the GUID would update and it would force re-download the show for folks that had had gotten the half copy. You know, that was up for those couple of hours yeah. or whatever it was. I so, think the cool kids say "guid." Oh, there you go. Thanks. All right. Well, I'll say "guid" now too. And, I, and then all the all the cool kids will actually laugh at me because I'll mispronounce it. Uh, the cool kids are like like like. Uh, oh, never. I'm not going to go there. Anyway, uh, so the, I know our GUIDs don't change, right? There's no question. And then all of a sudden, I'll see you know episode number 29, 30, 31, and 32 start downloading, and I, and I'll see this with other shows too. 
And uh, I talked to the Apple folks. They're like, well, it must be something weird in the RSS. I'm like, well, okay. I, I don't think so because, uh, you know, I was the one that wrote the script that generates it, and I'm pretty sure it's clean. But uh, who knows? You know, I mean, it's always possible. And uh, so they're monitoring it too, and then I'm monitoring it here. But now, does, I, I think does there's a bug in, I think there's a bug in iTunes, to be honest with you. Now, is there... Is there caching going on? Because a lot of times, I mean, you know, like we go through Cashfly, of course, and then mm -hmm. there are other caching services, of course. The RSS is I mean, not being cached. At... It's the, the actual files are, but remember, it's the RSS that triggers the download of the file. So I don't yeah. think that... Uh, uh, okay. The RSS is always coming from the same server. At least it should be, uh, you know, if... Mm -hmm. if if Apple's caching the RSS, which they were yeah. for a time, but I don't believe they are now. Uh, oh, you're you're really okay. No, I'm just trying to think of other things. But yeah, yeah, you really should. Everybody should be looking at the the good. The good. Oh, <laughs> you I, shouldn't. You're, you're I, I'm too. thinking something. We've somewhere got good goods, is, darn it. <laughs> something. Somebody somewhere is looking at the wrong piece of information, deciding that it's time. Yeah. To redownload. I'm just trying to figure in the chain of all the information you have, which includes a unique identifier and a time date stamp along various points in the path. Who's yep. doing something silly? I, you know, I wonder if iTunes has a finite number of GUIDs that it can track, and perhaps mm -hmm. I'm subscribed to too many podcasts. Um, you know, remember, our podcast now has, uh, you know, well, yeah. actually ours in, in the AAC feed only has, what, 70-something episodes, but in the MP3 feed, of course, it's got 93 episodes now. Um, perhaps that's the, you know, maybe maybe if you, you, you subscribe to, you know, 50 different podcasts and they've each got 100, you know, maybe maybe there's a, a limit there. Maybe there's, you know, a limit of the number of GUIDs that, uh, that iTunes can track. Who knows? But uh, there's something going on. It, it's more widespread than than just a couple of people, I think. So uh, if you if you have any thoughts on mm -hmm. this, let us know, and uh, we'll go from there. R Robert is the uh, is next up with yet another podcast question, and uh, we'll see if we can't handle this one too. Robert Hazelwood here. I've got a quick question for you. Some of the podcasts that I listen to on my iPod. Play back the podcasts at an increased rate, a little speedier, peppier, they're a little faster. That's because I have audio playback sped up for when I play audiobooks. Is there a way that I can have all my podcasts do this? And if there is, do I have to go in and sort of change the file type for all the podcasts, or is there just some other sneaky workaround so I can uh, listen to my podcast in a faster manner? Thanks. You bet. Uh, you said you have something on this, and uh, why don't you take it first, and I'll uh, I'll talk about the, the back. Who, me? Yeah, you, yes. Right? Well, no, I was poking around to, to uh, see if there are pitchless so the uh, the feature with uh, iTunes I guess with depending on what you do is you can get a speed up or slow down and it does, doesn't really change the uh, the pitch as do you would imagine it normally would it would get you know squeaky or very low <clears throat> excuse me you're excused so that's kind of a cool thing but I found a piece of software which is now both Mac and PC called the amazing slow downer which is kind of misleading because it doesn't only slow things down but it speeds things up. And uh, I'll put a link to their site. It's uh, RonnieMusic.com. But it will deal with MP3s, AIFF, 
and AAC files and either speed them up or slow them down. And they have a, several samples on their site where you can click on the original and then the before and after, and it's really kind of cool to listen to. They have one that's, you know, a saxophone, uh, the, various instruments, and, and it's just uncanny. So uh, it's a commercial product. I, I forget. It's like 40 bucks or something. So, you yeah. know, not for, for playing around, but if, if, if you want to do this sort of thing with multiple file types, uh, you know, listening to the results is pretty cool. So that's one option, but it's a commercial option. But of course, the nice thing about options is there's always many of them. There are always many. Such so, as. Okay, so uh, in iTunes, you're right. You notice that some audiobooks and some podcasts uh, are able to do this while others aren't. In fact, you'd probably notice that up until maybe, what, a month and a half, two months ago, the Geek Gab would have automatically been impacted by this setting. And what it is is anything that is a .m4b file uh, and and also marked as uh, uh, yeah if it's not a not not truly a purchase tract but but uh, an m4b file or not a purchased music track then it will uh, be affected by this but m4a files will not this podcast is now an m4a file and the reason it is is because we used to um, want to, or people wrote in saying, look, you know, uh, we want to be able to skip, uh, un uncheck the skip when shuffling box or, or something like that. And we can't. Why can't we? Well, because it's an M4B file. Uh, so we just made the change. Initially, I think it had to be an M4B file in order for iTunes to do the right stuff with it. But that, that changed somewhere along, along the line. So you could pull the file out of iTunes rename it from .m4a to .m4b and re-import it back in, and then it should uh, be impacted by all these settings. I'm sure uh -huh. there is an Apple script at Doug's Apple Scripts for iTunes, which is DougScripts.com, Doug uh, that, would, that would do this, but I, I couldn't find it quickly. Dude, the risk of Geico's lawyers going after us, I mean, yes. that is so cave, man. I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That's not Mac-like at all. No, it's not. But you know, we're not uh, gonna we're not gonna have yet a here. third feed of the uh, of the of the Geek Gab just so that you can get it with different file names. Although I guess if, <laughs> although I I get why not right? I mean, I guess if enough people want that, then we can we can go back to that. So that would be fine. We could have a special feed for the M4B people. <sighs> why not? So uh, so let us know if you want that, and we'll find a way to make it happen. We can aut automate the whole thing. We can copy the M4A to M4B, upload it, create the new feed. No one will know. Yeah, because, you know, I yeah. like playing my music. Yes, that's right. AudioEngineUSA.com is uh, another sponsor whose products we enjoy. Makers of the A5 speakers. These are uh, desktop speakers. We've talked about them before. They are little cubes, but what, six, eight inches high uh, that sit on your desk uh, or your table or aside your TV. They have two drivers in each of them, a big uh, woofer and then a little tweeter. The sound that comes out of these things is fantastic. Full range sound, really, really warm, uh, but powerful speakers. They've got a USB port on the top for charging your iPod, a uh, line in port so that you can just lay your iPod on top and uh, and and run the speakers with with that. You can plug a cable from your computer into the back, and you can even they've got a, an AC port on the back, so you can hang your Airport Express off the back mm -hmm. and uh, and one outlet on the wall, and boom, you're good to go. 
the Audio Engine A, five speakers from AudioEngineUSA.com. John and I both have a pair. And uh, and our neighbors hate us for and it. And our neighbors hate us for it. There you go. So, <laughs> AudioEngineUSA.com. Fantastic uh, stuff. And now we're on to the tips. Uh, Bastion has a very, very interesting solution to the geek challenge and and i think it works uh i haven't tried it actually i don't know why i missed this email i I stumbled onto it today when i was going through stuff prepping the show he's he's posted a movie uh showing uh, him watched it you watched it did you watch it john uh, part of it. Okay, I watched the whole thing. So the the, the idea here, and it's worth watching, because the idea is, okay, you know, you want your iTunes library shared. You want to store your iTunes library on a network drive, either one attached to your computer or a network storage drive or whatever. And you want to have all the songs there, but you want to have multiple computers managing the drive. So, or managing the songs and, and reflecting all the changes. So he wrote two automator actions and walks you through creating the automator actions, right? And one of them copies the uh, iTunes library file to the the NAS drive, and then one copies the file back, right? And then he wrote launch D scripts, and again, walks you through doing that with Lingon. And uh, and these, these launch D scripts watch these files, and, and one of them watches the file on your computer, and if it changes, i.e., You've done something in iTunes that would cause this to, you know, this change to happen. Um, the uh, it it triggers this this action and, and copies the file out to uh, to the to the NAS drive. The other one watches the file on the NAS drive, and if it sees that there's a change that happened out there, it tells iTunes to re-import everything in the music library on the NAS drive again using the automator action you created, pulling all this stuff back. Uh, of course, iTunes will only import, at least from what he says, will only import the files that are new. So uh, it won't track deletions, I would guess, but uh, it will track, although I guess it would track deletions, wouldn't it? It might. Somebody let us know. Bastion, let us know. Uh, but, you know, it'll certainly get new stuff that's added to the file and uh, added to the library and, and suck it in uh, to your iTunes thing and, and everything's in the right spot. So. Uh, very interesting uh, to check it out. These automators actions and uh, launch D scripts are very, very easy to create based on uh, watching this. I, I think it's the I think it's the best answer to this geek challenge we've uh, we've seen yet. Right, John? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, where are we time wise? Do we have time for one more tip? Do you think? Oh. Yeah, I think we do. Uh, you know what? We'll save it for the next show. We are uh, yeah. we're at forty two minutes here, which is. You know, we're uh, that's where we should be. And if I hit the right thing, I might even be able to get the uh, the band in here and all that stuff. I tell you, on Sunday nights, it's uh, it's interesting. Yep, that's because yeah. I gotta. Yep, yeah, you gotta take off. I know. Uh, have fun with your travels this week. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, this is that's uh, yeah, the dinner after the uh, first day. Okay. Are you staying at home yeah. or are you are you uh, you oh, staying yeah. there? Oh, okay. That's in Connecticut. Oh, all right. The, Can the we come? Scary, scary. Uh, no. We've got a couple. Of, we've got more than a couple. We've probably got uh, you know a couple hundred listeners in Connecticut. Maybe they can yeah. come. Yeah. Well, they they have to work for. You're the all. Company, so. You're all invited. Though a couple of listeners are my coworkers. There you which go. Is kind of See, creepy. There you go. 
Not creepy. <laughs> but they're all invited. Not just your coworkers. Every one of them. They're all going to show up. Okay. If if you know me and you know where, where the event is, then come for dinner. Sweet. What are, what uh, are we I having? I will make that offer. What, what are we having? I don't know yet. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you Probably some me. dead animal. Carcass. Oh, yeah. Carcass. Just feast, feast on a carcass. <laughs> John works for Carrion Corp Limited. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I don't think next week will be our how to clean up your Mac show, but but I think we're what two weeks away from that. Uh, My Mac's pretty clean. Is it? Uh, Cashfly hosting, of course, is where you've downloaded the show. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, TeachMac from TeachMac.com, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac. Backbeat Media Podcast Network is hard at work uh, fitting your ads into this show if you are someone who has an ad, so work with them. And we've got other shows as well, the uh, This Day in Apple History Show from Apple Matters and, of course, the Apple Weekly Roundup, Evil Genius Chronicles, Coverville, all sorts of stuff. Many options. There you go. You're rookie. And, yeah, that's right. Uh, iTunes comments are always welcome. I like seeing that stuff up there. Of course, we love your email, macgeekgab at macobserver.com. Uh, Skype it to Mac Geek Gap. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I figured something mm-hmm. out this week. I don't know. Did I tell you, John, what I did with the Skype thing? Yeah. So, you know, Skype huh? is always something that's difficult to, uh, to to work into my routine. I don't know why. So, you know, I never go and check the Skype voicemail. <clears throat> and then it hit me. Wait a minute. You can forward calls from, if you buy Skype out minutes, you can just forward calls to another number. And so I thought, wait a minute. Why don't I just tell Skype? Instead of renewing the voicemail, which just expired, by the way, uh, hmm. why don't I just forward them to the normal voicemail that comes into our email boxes and it just appears like anything else? And sure enough, we've already got comments coming in that way. You probably don't even notice it when you call the Skype voicemail, but uh, but there it is. So now Skype voicemail is just integrated into the routine. Should work great. If you ever do have a problem with it, shoot us an email, MacGeekGab at MacObserver.com. Uh, we love all your comments. Yeah. I, I gotta say, after doing that show last week with all the email, I am I am reinvigorated about email comments. We were able to get so much information into that show. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that's it. We're done, Bye right? Us. Are we done? I'm done. Oh, you should be done. I'm finished. I'm finished. That's right. Finished is the appropriate word. Done is what we talk about when we're making dinner. Finished. I had, a guy, I had a guy that said that to me once. I don't know. It always stuck in my head. A guy down in Texas. Was he finished? I don't know. He says you're finished when you're talking about something, but done refers to making dinner. So, I don't know. Man. It's not bad advice, but there is one piece of advice that's better, you know. And that is? You say it. You say it. Yeah, don't get caught. Made up.